Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, welcome to this edition of Blue Circle again, John, Dave and myself. After John's absence for a week, uh, we come back and we look back over Leinster's uh, defeat against Arsons and all the other Heineken Cup quarter-final action. So that's a very disappointing uh, defeat in the Viva on Saturday, uh, going down 25-17 uh, against the Saris. Gutted. Well, I think we're all gutted. Uh, no, more, no more than the team, I would guess. Uh, I'd say they're absolutely Moby Dick, but um, we just—you could see from early on—we just weren't at a hundred percent. We were just, whatever little screw in the head. I always look for who hits the ball on the deck when it goes loose. Who, who who's who's standing around for that fraction of a second longer than he needs to be? And it was all us. They were hungry for it. They were wound up to be Jesus. Uh, we just weren't. We were, not that we were rubbish, we, had, we actually played very well, and especially in the second half. Uh, we did a lot of great things with the ball, uh, but the fact that we couldn't work out how to, how to, you know, it looked so obvious to me on the, on, on the telly that how we, we get around their scrum because the two guys in the flanks were lifting their heads looking for Billy Vunapola every, you know. Trust Luke McGrath. He'll tell you if Billy Vunapola is on the break. Just keep your head in and push like a mother. Uh, seemed to be the solution to me, just on that simple problem. Like when do I was a think, kid, John, John, do not think that fundamentally our tactics didn't like we played into their hands. You know, absolutely, like, we did. Yeah, like, no, no, but like, like we 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 play a game that's quite high risk, and we we try to run the ball. And if you're going to do that, you're going to in a very blustery day, we conceded so many knock-ons and errors. Into a win. We played into their hands by having scrums. Like, I can't remember, with the exception of, but they were kind of more off the cuff and clearance kicks. We didn't put, we didn't try and turn them. We didn't kick into the corners. We didn't, we, we just played, we tried to run at them. We were so one-dimensional. We were continually being held up in tackles and putting ourselves under all sorts of pressure. That we that it was I don't know I think I counted three times in the game we took the ball into contact we were held up and a scrum went again uh, the decision went against us and it was a scrum we completely messed up we got everything wrong you think of the opening second we kicked off sorry they kicked off we couldn't control the dropping ball on our Conan knocked it on and then Tony was very lucky not to concede the penalty. Uh, we gave away stupid penalties. Porter, you know, Porter on the wrong side. Sexton holding on to the ball. We just let them in. We let them create separation between us. We were all of a sudden we were three nine down. Then we gave away penalty uh, on the halfway line for a scrum infringement. Daly whacks it over. Sexton can't kick at ten meters. Another scrum on the on the halfway line. Another scrum infringement, and we're thirty. We're fifteen three down. With a blink of an eye, like 
we were done in that game. We, you know, and I, I've listened to a few broadcasts on Off the Ball and, and other um, podcasts, and they're all saying it's the demise of Leinster. Nonsense. We were <laughs> stupid. There's a, Absolutely. There was a lot of talk about how Leinster were going to cope with various things that Saracens are going to do. And would they be able to cope with the power of the Vunapolas? And would they be able to cope with this and that and the other? And the answer, and, and, and the reality is we did cope with them. We coped with them more, quite well. The problem is we didn't control the things we control. If there's three set pieces in the match, you know, there's a scrum, there's a line out, and there's what is now the third set piece, which is the kickoff. Um, well, we know what happened with the scrum. Our line out was, strict, was, was hobbled because we were scared of... You know, it told Jay, but also we were also scared, John, of our own incompetence. We ha our lineout hasn't gone well since the return, and we that 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 limited us and our kickoffs. I mean, and our kickoff receptions. When after Larmer scored his try, Saracens were rocking. Yeah. Um, it would have taken one more punch, and they would have been down. The guys had emptied themselves, the Saracens players had emptied themselves, they were dispirited. And then they kick off. We don't get a challenge in on the kickoff. They get a clean catch from it. Now, they may only they only got ten or five or ten phases from that next series of play, but it was enough to show them that there was still stuff in the game for them. And it was enough for them to get back to their patterns and back to their routines and to forget about what happened with the Larmer tribe. And from that catch, the moment your man caught that ball, that was the game. The game was over. You know, because what they went and did was they just went and created situations where there would be scrums. And from that situation, the, 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 the penalty that took it, ultimately took it away from Leinster entirely arose. But, you know, the things that cost us that match were things that we were in control of. And we didn't control them. And that, for me, is the... Is the thing that it's I think that, I think that's the thing that the team will regret most. It's not mm. like it, 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 it's something that they could have done themselves that that could, that cost them the match. I mean, Saracens are a great team. Let's not be let's not be arguing about about it. They've won three Heineken Cups in the last couple of years. They're you know near enough to favourites for a fourth. They have a, a, a team littered with internationals. Uh, their bench, which we were, you know a bit dismissive of out of a lack of knowledge um, came on and really, really did a job for them. So you can't do Saracens down, but we have to look at what we did in that match and what we did in that 100%. match wasn't adequate. Like we, they had, you know, like we came off second best in the pack. They had five World Cup finalists playing in their pack. Um, Exactly as you said, Dave, when Brad Barrett came through on the kickoff and he claimed it unchallenged in our 22, like that's just, if you saw that down at an under 14 match, you'd be pulling your hair out. That there wasn't, a, you know what I mean? The ball coming in and no one protecting, no one blocking somebody, a center running through. Like, stand a slow center. Sorry? A slow center. Never mind a center. He's not exactly a, a bullet train. He's a bullet, all right, but he's not exactly a bullet train. Um, yeah, I, I also saw um, your man, 37-year-old Dick Wigglesworth, like, wow, 
he he had a great game, and his box kicking is legendary. Fantastic. Well, we, I, John, I was accused. I'll just interrupt you. We have a question in on that um, no. on Twitter from Orla Brennan who asks, can you discuss the proper strategic use of box kicking, please? Sarri's continually put us under pressure just by following up fast, whereas our box kicks just resulted in giving away possession. I understand it as a defensive measure in your own 22, but what about elsewhere on the field? Well, there you go. Uh, exhibit A, Eddie Jones, England against us. Was it last year? I've, I've lost track of the years. But I think <laughs> it was... Was it? Okay. Uh, I thought it was 19. There you go. Uh, like, bombs were raining on us. We couldn't deal with them. And, like, the kind of a cardinal rule of box kicking or kicking in general is never do it into the 22. It's madness because all the, any of the opposing players have to do is catch it and they can just call a mark and your attack's over. However, they were doing it into the 22, but they were... Your man... Wigglesworth gets so much height. There is snow coming off those those box kicks he gets. And the team has time to stroll up nearly. And they put so much pressure on you. And England did the exact same thing against us. Even if it's into your 22, you're almost guaranteed to knock on it. And I think I remember discussing it at the time that all they have to do is A, disrupt you, uh, or B, get an arm in and knock it back. If they knock it back, it's all great. If you knock it forward, it's a scrum to them. And guess what? Their scrum is on fire. And England's scrum was on fire in the in the Six Nations as well. The re- so, the re- yes. I... Take one. Well, I was, all I was going to say to finish off is, yes, it's, it's a good attacking weapon, provided you have, A, the guy who can stick it up high enough, B, the team that can chase it. And the, the opposition are going to be rattled if you do it well and do it often enough. Uh, and that's what worked for England and it worked for Saracens the other day I think the reason why coaches and we see an awful lot of box kicking these days um, we do a lot of it we don't do it all that well once we do a lot of it it's mixed Saracens do a lot of it and they do it very well the reason why coaches like it so much is because it's a percentage play in that so many of the potential outcomes are beneficial to the team who do the box kicking there's only really one outcome that's beneficial to the team receiving and that's a clean catch, whether it's in the 22 or not. That's the only really beneficial outcome. And that's without, any, without the follow-up hits or anything like that, but the clean catch. If you get scrappy ball, slapped back ball, slapped forward ball, any other kind of ball benefits the attacking team. Absolutely. It seems now with the new interpretation on the, on the laws that possession and territory, by having them, they work as a disadvantage to the team with them. We had 63% possession, 66% territory. We made 276 metres compared to 124 from Saracens. But I suppose the main reason behind that we lost, we conceded 16 penalties, they conceded 10. So it's, it's, almost, an adva- it's almost a disadvantage to actually have the ball the way rugby is turning into now. The amount of times that... And look, that's the, that's the rules. Of the lobby, you've got to play to, the, to them. But the amount of times we went into possession, into contact, and gave away a penalty, you know, or, or gave away the ball because we were going in too high. I can think of Keeney been turned over once, and also um, Ryan Baird, who I thought was fantastic when he came on. Someone sent me That's a text. Said, someone sent me a text during the game and said, It's a pity we don't have Fardy on the bench. And I was thinking, Yeah, you're probably right. And then Baird came on and 
like he was superb. He bit naive once or twice. Like before he did bad, he did something equally good. Like when he ripped the ball, I think from Cock, I think, I can't remember exactly who. But he, he got a turnover for us in our 22. And just moments before he was turned over because he went in too high. And I think it told you turned him over. But like that kid has got a great future if he can stay injury free. Rugby injury. Man man rips ball from cock. <laughs> I think yeah. uh, I could think make a headline out of that. <laughs> but Cenos, it's uh, with Cenos, there's a, a a pussy appearing behind Jason on an intermittent basis. Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> um, what 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 happened when uh, Baird and Gibson Park came on, and that kind of gave us a boost at that stage? It wasn't so much the play. Well, it was so much. The play, it was that we stopped worrying about what they were doing. We started playing our own game. I stopped playing a game that was designed to ca to cater, negatize whatever you want to say about Saracens. Um, the game that it's funny enough you mentioned all the penalties, scrum penalties. Do you know what got that game? Do you remember we played Claremont in um, the Aviva in a pool match, and we gave Mike Ross was destroyed by uh, show. Prison in ten in the in the snow. Yeah. Or in in the very cold. Uh, Mike Ross was destroyed by show. Um. Who was actually loosening his bind, so Ross was going straight through the gap. Um, it, was, it was typical, clever Fred Fred. And, and Leinster were giving away penalty after penalty after penalty to Wayne Barnes. And they even they made substitutions early, if you remember, to try and change the picture. But the die was cast because once a ref gets an idea in his head about a scrum in particular, he's never going to change it. The only ref I've ever seen change his mind about who's doing what in a scrum is Roman Pot in 2011. The only time. The ref gets mm. a picture. If you present a bad picture to a referee, you're screwed. And he's normally one of those who does make your mind, make his mind up early about the scrum as well. Yeah. Was that the, was that the game where McFadden scored to try in the last minute to get yeah. the uh, bonus point? Yeah, they got us into the Ferguson to rather at the end, but uh, yeah, like we just we just played into their hands, and you know, of course, you know, you, you you tune into BT Sports and you get all the, the hype of the how good the Gallagher Premiership is and very little recognition of the Pro 14. And then, you know, there's the naysayers. And I'm not discounting myself from that, I think. You know, no, I go you shouldn't through, either. <laughs> no, uh, like, but, um, you know, it, you kind of want the Pro 14 team, obviously, to do well. And all five Pro 14 teams that were in European action this weekend got all lost. Um, you know, and and uh, like it's, I don't know, it's, um, you, you just hope that, that it's not kind of uh, a terminal decline. Hopefully the South African teams will come in and strengthen the league. Well, it's happened four times in the history of the competition that there hasn't been a, a Celtic team. Once it was in the 90s before there was a Celtic league. Um, and I think it was like 2005, 2016 and now. So it's not, yeah. it's not something that gets repeated the year after generally. Um, and yes. No, but like, I mean, it probably never happened to an English league and it's never probably happened in the French league. So, you know, we can't be. None of them qualified. Slapping ourselves on the back because, oh, it's only the fourth time it's happened. Well, there have, like, been, there have been occasions when, um, maybe not so much French leagues, but there have been occasions when no Gallagher Premiership team has, when Gallagher Premiership teams have been swept in the quarterfinals. That has happened before. 
Um, yeah. There's an element of post hoc ergo propter hoc about this um, in as much as there's a, there's a debate to be had about the, the Pro 14, um, the Pro, about Celtic rugby, we'll call it, because God only knows what structure it's going to have. They could change it tomorrow kind of thing. There's a real debate that has to be had around that. Um, Dave, Dave, just, just can I just, before we start going off on a, a big soliloquy, just let's look at the facts, right? We played 17, the Leinster played 17 matches in the Pro 14 this year. We scored 571 points, conceded 224. That's a, a plus 347 points difference. Our average winning margin was 20.4 points in those 17 games. We played Ulster in two matches since the lockdown and we scored 55 points in those two matches compared to their 15. Like, the, the quality of the league, like Leinster are an exceptionally good side and I bet you if they play the best three series against Saracens, it would be 1-2-1 one, one, to one side or the other. But, at the moment, the quality in the Pro 14 is pretty poor, with the exception of Leinster. Like, we can go and make 15 changes for our match from one week to the other. We can rest our best player, our captain, for the Pro 14. Like, that just sends out horrible optics to the competition, to people who are already sceptical of it. Like, I want the Pro 14 to be the strongest league in Europe, in the world. But you can't honestly say it is when you've got such disparity between the best team and the next best team. I agree with you entirely. But I don't think it had anything to do with Saturday. Because no. the, the overall... I, 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 I completely agree with you. The, the over -under, with our, our average over-under, if you like, in the Pro 14 would be pretty much the same as our, our average over-under this season in Europe as well. If you take the games against Northampton, the games against Lyon, okay, leaving Benetton out of it because they're a Pro 14 team. So our, our, our average over-under is, is what it is. Um, in Saint, well, I agree with you. I agree with you. Saints, we scored an aggregate of 93 points in the two games we played and conceded 37. Yeah. So, so uh, there's like a 50-something point uh, variance between yeah. the... I, I think we do have to have a conversation. I think the conversation has to be had about the Pro 14 or Celtic rugby, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think that you know, that things have to be looked at because it's, it, it's not serving its purpose in and of itself as a, as a competitive league. It's just not working. But I don't think it actually had anything to do, any, all that much to do with Saturday. I mean, what really swung the... I mean, Saturday's game was actually kind of a freak game, if you think about it, right? You had this global lockdown. You had teams stop playing for ages. You had one team that was... Uh, guaranteed relegation you had another team that was guaranteed celebration and it was it was just a very weird set of circumstances in and out just in around the game itself i mean it, it didn't didn't really contribute to the result but it was a weird circumstances around around the game itself so I, I, I yes does the pro 14 need review um oh god yes um but I'm not sure it's, it, it's to blame for what happened on Saturday or on Sunday. I mean, Toulouse are a fucking brilliant side. Yeah. Well, uh, Ulster, are very poor, Ulster are a very poor side. Ulster have played five games since they've come back from lockdown and won one. And one of those games, the one that they won, 
they only won it with, the, with a fantastic kick in the last minute of a game that they had been losing up to 79 point, you know, 79 minutes and 45 seconds. If you actually, if you actually look at how Ulster went against, uh, like <laughs> I was saying it on, when I was watching, I only saw the second half, as you know, and after 50 minutes, they were the same score as we were after 40 minutes, <laughs> 22-3. Um, having said that, like we, uh, take, we came back and you know, got, brought it close. We were within five points before the last uh, penalty uh, and had a sniff of winning it, whereas they went in the opposite direction and the heads went down and they got fucking horsed out of it. They were away though, in, in, uh, with 5,000 people in the stadium. We were at home with with none, um, but you know, it it's hard to like it's hard to compare the two games because it was so there were such different set of circumstances surrounding both of them. You know, I think there's really only five or six. I think there's really only five or six teams that could give Toulouse a good game in Toulouse, and Ulster ain't one of them. But they they ain't one of them anyway, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think that the, the Pro 14 has to be looked at. I mean, just in and of itself, it's, a, it's, it's, it's in trouble in terms of its structure, um, in terms of its marketing, in terms of the value that others perceive the competition to be worth. Um, it's, it's starting from, like, that's exactly as you say, it's the value that it's, that it's, perce- it's perception. Like, you don't hear the current crop players really criticising it, but the minute they hang up their boots, they really are quite dismissive towards it. Um, you know, sadly, whereas you'd never hear a retired player giving out yards about the top 14 or the Gallagher Premiership. You know, they, they actually want to play in it and respect it, whereas it doesn't seem that it's just seen as a kind of a hindrance and it's only really good for the interprovincial derbies, the matches that they kind of plane that the, the national selectors going to be there to keep an eye on them or ones where there's going to be a big audience or you know or they're, or they're playing in the semi-final or final of it. Certainly you know Leinster playing against Edinburgh in the RDS in November or in, in March doesn't seem to float many of the, many of the, the players' votes at all. The, the problem is that because Europe and Ireland are such a big uh, energy and attention suck, for want of a better phrase, in Irish rugby, if you're a 26-year-old player and you're still playing regular Pro 14, your dreams haven't come true. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah. by 26, you should be playing limited Pro 14 because you're going to be, you've been saved for Europe or you've been saved for Ireland. So that kind of criticism comes built into the thing. But at the same time, and, mm-hmm. so the, and, and then you got guys who, who are playing up at the next level. They don't play in the Pro 14, so they don't really care that, all that much about it. It's used as a way of getting fit or getting sharp. It's not really used. It's not their bread and butter. Um, yeah. To a certain extent, the best thing that could happen to the Pro 14 is if the European Cup disappeared. But that's the worst thing that could happen to Irish rugby. So can't win. Yeah. You can't. You can't win. But like I mean, we we saw against Saracens. 
we, we go back to the Saracens match in a second, but we saw just staying on the Pro 14 theme, we saw that uh, the Southern Kings have gone into voluntary liquidation now. So it looks like their race is run. Um, I'm not sure what's going to happen to the Cheetahs. But there's rumours that the four bigger clubs are going to join in the new year. They're going there to play an international. Well, the, the Cheetahs are currently, like the Cheetahs were kicked out of Super Rugby in the first place, don't forget, uh, along with the Kings back in 2016, uh, or, or after the 2016 season. Anyway, um, they. Cheetahs, or sorry, the, the Southern Kings have always been a bit of a yeah, red-haired, stepchild, red-haired stepchild of uh, South African rugby. Um, but the Cheetahs, like you say, have a bit of a proud history. But having been thrown out in the first place from Super Rugby, are, none of the other four are going to disappear, put it that way. So it's either going to be there's five in and we get rid of the dragons or we get rid of uh, zebra or we, you know, something happens. Um, or there's only four South African teams and cheetahs lose out. I, I don't, I, I don't see uh, pro 17 as being a winning formula. Oh no, I don't think so either. I think Italy will have to go into the top 14. Um, I'll try and find a home there. Uh, I don't think that that's going to, exist anymore in terms of a, of a thing well you, you the cheetahs are the most popular team in south africa they're the biggest franchise of all of them um they produce the most players but uh, no fans to the thing they've they didn't feel... people haven't bought for whatever reason people have in south africa haven't bought into it i think perhaps because of the lack of south african competition for them because the kings are in it it must be shit you know that kind of way kings don't even play curry cup rugby because they're a franchise that exists purely to play in the pro 14. They don't play in Curry Cup. Yeah. They were in Super Rugby, but that, that was a mistake of, of galactic proportions. Um, I don't know how, how a South African union could get by getting rid of the, getting rid of the cheetahs from all top-level com- competition. I don't see it being politically possible. And, and I'm not talking about yeah. general politics. I'm talking about rugby politics. I mean, the, the cheetahs are a massively powerful union as well. It's the old Orange Free State. How can mm-hmm. yeah, I know, I know, but like, like, um, when I, when I went down on the lot to watch the Lions tour in, in 09, like the South African rugby folk really didn't know much about Irish rugby, mm-hmm. they only knew of Brian O'Driscoll. Like, we had just won the Grand Slam that year, we had won the Heineken Cup for the Lencers' first time, but Munster had won two. So there was an Irish European Cup winner for I think you know three, three times three, in five three, years. Four, four years yeah. And and honestly, they the, uh, they only knew two like when you're just chatting to locals there, no, not not everyone of course, but you know, quite a few people, the only Irish people that they really or the only Irish thing that they'd heard of was Niall Mellon and Brian O'Driscoll. And that was really it, you know? And like they certainly had never heard of Leinster. So to try and go around and say, oh, yeah, well, they mightn't be bringing down Johnny Sexton and they probably won't be bringing down, you know, uh, James Ryan. But you'll see a great young lad who, who used to play for Klongos a few years ago and a young fella from Michaels. 
and you're trying to fill out a, a 60,000 seater stadium, like might, it's just not going to happen. You might get Johan Van, Van Campbell and John Van der Granger go to that game, but you won't get the, the ordinary rugby fan. South Africa became, no. because it was forced into isolation, it became very isolated and it became very insular. South African society became very insular. Um, and it yeah. looked inwards. And the only kind of thing it looked outwards at was New Zealand. Um, those same guys who wouldn't know much about Irish rugby will probably know everything there is to know about New Zealand rugby because of the South African obsession with New Zealand rugby. But that has run its course as well because, you know, it's just not working for South Africans for South Africa. They can't watch matches with a pint. You know, that's important. The society, it, it's not just about getting the games on TV. People forget this. Uh, oh, oh, we get all the games on TV, we get the games on TV. It's not about just getting the games on TV. It's about getting games on TV at a time when people can watch them and enjoy them, either over their dinner or with their families or down the pub, not at six o'clock in the morning, which is when a lot of the Super Rugby games are on South Africa, which is why interest fell off. If you could get the five main provinces in South Africa into the Pro 14 or into Celtic Rugby, we'll call it, um, along with you know R four and the South Africa uh, the Welsh four, you would actually have a genuine you would have a genuine league because South Africans would be interested because all their teams are in there, and then they'd be interested because uh, the Irish and the Welsh and the Scottish teams would be in there, and you'd also have a situation where, you know, because of the higher standard of competition provided by those South African teams, there'd be a higher standard of player required by the Irish, Welsh, and Scottish play teams to stay competitive. Um, and you'd have a lot more money coming in as well because because of the, the volume of South African interest, you'd have the volume of South African television. I mean, one of the reasons why we were so keen to go down the route, certainly with the Kings, was because of the amount of TV money they brought in. Supersport is a very rich channel. Would you uh, be worried about um, the CBC deal between the Premiership and the Pro 14? Not that there's a deal between them, but the, that they have a deal with both. Now that might lead more in the direction of uh, a British and Irish league, which, let's face it, is what the, the Welsh, or a lot of the Welsh, seem to want. No, nobody uh, cares what the Welsh want. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Nobody cares what the Welsh want. They've no money. They've no fans. They're all... I don't want to be rude, but I'm going to be rude, right? Okay, here's the thing. The Welsh rugby public is poor. Nobody wants to sell them Jaguars, right? The British and Irish rugby... The English and Irish rugby public... It's quite well off. They can afford to buy Jaguars, right? So that's where all the sponsorship money comes from. Why do you think, I mean, you look at the Pro 14, name all the sponsors. They've all been Irish companies. Robert Direct didn't even trade in the UK, you know? So mm -hmm. that's, that's the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is nobody gives a shit what the Welsh want. And an Anglo-Irish league is more likely than an Anglo-Welsh league. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, I'm not... Uh, I just want to watch rugby. I don't really care about the politics of it. Whether we're playing with the South Africans, the, the English, rugby you watch is determined by the politics of it, John. That's the thing. Kiwis. Well, of course it is, but I'm I'm just saying that I don't have a a particular bias in either direction. I I couldn't care less. Myself, I, I would I would prefer to have the South Africans in rather right. than the English because at least they're kind of rowing in the same direction as us. Whereas um, the English unless they got a better offer, John. Hmm? Unless they got a better offer. So you say you go down the road of putting all your eggs into the South African basket, and let's say that the Gallagher Premiership say, God, that seems to be working over there, but could you imagine 
all the South Africans that are living in London, what, you know, how many we could get. We could, if we were Harlequins, we could play against the Bulls and play in Twickenham or, you know, there's loads of them living in Manchester, Sheriff Sale, we could hire out Main, uh, you know, we could hire out Old Trafford and play a game there because we know that there's 50,000 South Africans living in the greater Manchester area or whatever. You know what I mean? So, like, it's a movable feast at the moment because yeah, money really like, is going to be I'm on a good contract, all right. And Jason, what Jason says is true. Um, you'd wonder how much South African rugby would want to have the players that have decided to stay in South Africa playing in England because <laughs> they're losing enough of them as it is. Um, but um, no, I, I agree. You'd want a time. I mean, it would have to be, obviously, there'd have to be commercial deals and stuff like that. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I, from, a, from a structural point of view, South Africa would suit us better because of the ownership model in South Africa been similar to the ownership model here and in Wales and in Scotland. Um, and they have a lot of money that we want. From a, a rugby point of view, I don't mind because I'm of an age, and, I've, and, and so are you guys. You grew up watching rugby special on a Sunday afternoon, right? Sunday evening. And you'd watch the net, teams like Wasps and Harlequins and Saracens and, you know, even teams that don't really figure anymore, like Coventry and things like those are, and Lee, those are evocative names. Those are games you watched on a Saturday afternoon. With, what was it? Cliff Robertson, wasn't he the host? Ian Robertson. Um, Ian Robertson. You'd watch those games and they seemed like the weirdest thing ever because you were watching this rugby. A, it was from a foreign country and B, it was England that you, you only really got to see those players once a year in the Five Nations. So then you were seeing them in their if you like, natural habitat. Um, so those names are evocative. But then on the other hand, you used to get, remember the rugby special used to show the Curry Cup final? which looked mm -hmm. like something from a different planet entirely. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, it's hard to know though, you know, because um, like those South African, those South African players, uh, like it would only work. Like I think so it's just going back, sport really only works when you have proper rivalries between clubs or new, yeah. you know, this is a new kind of whole concept of, inter-country games and it's grand playing Heineken Cup because there's there's only there's only you're only three other teams in your group so it's kind of a bit of adventure to see you know a team from France or even going to France or if they come here or if a team from England comes here but when it's on a weekly basis and we're oh we're going to Ospreys this weekend or we're going to Treviso or we're go or or we're hosting Glasgow or Edinburgh like there's no real rivalry between those clubs because there never really has been. And like those rivalries are, okay, we've probably been playing them for 15 years, but there's no niggle, there's no kind of bragging rights. We don't bring enough people over there and they don't bring enough here to kind of go, God, there's, you know, those Glasgow crowd there are just nasty or whatever. They, you know, they're not nice. And I'm going to be, be up for that game, you know? Yeah, I think I, I think that one one of the problems that the Pro 14 has is its youth. I mean, okay, the the the, the, the organised league rugby in England has only existed since the 80s. But those but matches between those teams have been going back, you know, 100 odd years. Same in France. Same in Ireland and in Wales and in Scotland. But the Pro 14 or the Celtic rugby as itself is what less than 20 years old. It's 20 years next year, I think, isn't it? Um, so about 20, kind of this year, kind of next year. Um, so you have 
a situation where was there are certain rivalries, international, inter slash national rivalries haven't had a chance to develop because it's still a young competition. The problem is, one of the problems is that I think is they keep fucking changing it. You know, as soon as something starts to happen and begins to percolate, they change it again. They bring in a team from Italy or they bring in a team from South Africa or they split it into conferences or they add this or they change that or they bring in playoffs or they get rid of the table or, I mean, God knows, next year they could decide to play the league without, without a rugby ball. They keep changing things for the sake of changing them with no real sense to it. Well, look, we can talk about the Pro 14 all night long, so why don't, we will at another time, but we've spent enough time on it now. Why don't we go back and just have another little recap over the game against Saris. Um, I mentioned earlier some of our changes we, we brought on to the bench. You, uh, I thought Van der Fleer and uh, particularly Blair, Ryan Blair, were, were very good. Um, I thought um, Jamison Gibson Park made a big difference when he came on. And sadly, Luke McGrath, the second final in a row, you know, didn't wouldn't have had his finest hour, I'd say. No, I was I, I was I was listening to your mate Mick last week on the yeah. uh, on the podcast, and he was saying he's like uh, a comfortable pair of shoes on Leinster that uh, they're just used to how he how he goes, um, and that. You know, while he may not be the, in the top scrum halves in the world or anything, he's he suits the team, and that's quite often true. But it definitely wasn't true the other day. He was, you know, the whole team, as I said at the beginning, the whole team were kind of um, a little bit off, not hugely, but they were a little bit off, especially in the first half. And he was possibly more than some of them. Yeah, John uh, Ricardo Tierney asked a question along those lines. He says. Any idea as to why Saracens and not Leinster started the game with the requisite intensity? And on the basis of the second half performance, we, we have been better off with Keller and Baird starting. We kind of talked about Keller and Baird, um, but the intensity we started off, we were off. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, you could play the game again every... Like, we should have won that game on paper, you know? They had 10... Play, they, they didn't beat us that heavily last year, and they had 10 players missing. Their main playmaker, Owen Farrell, is, is missing. Uh, and people said before the game that his boot alone, uh, not even kicking for points, but his boot in, in general play would be really, really badly missed. It wasn't. Rick, Richard Wigglesworth kind of took on that mantle and did all the kicking. Wigglesworth had a brilliant game, it has to be said. He had he an absolutely did. brilliant game. I'm surprised he didn't get out of the match, to be honest. The guy is 270 years old, you know, and you know, I, was, I, I called uh, Peter Stringer a, a, a class on legs there a few <laughs> weeks ago. Apparently, I, I didn't even notice myself. Somebody said it to me. So, you know, Richard, Richard Wigglesworth is a box kick on legs, um, a box kick with legs hanging off it. So, a beautiful word picture, John. <laughs> so, you know, the, added to our... our it's that it's, it's that little thing of falling on a loose ball, making a decision really quickly, just being up for it, um, and it's so hard to manufacture. It's and I, I don't. I'm not saying that Leinster maybe did anything wrong in their preparation, or just happens like that on the day. Sometimes you know you go out, and you're not expecting whatever way the game starts. It throws you out of your stride, and bang, you, you know it's very hard to get back once once that's happened. It's very hard to get back. Now, we did get it back to a degree, 
In the second half, we played pretty well. We scored tr- more tries than they did in the game. Uh, but it was ju- there was just too much pressure on us. Uh, and that came from them, you know, and they're bloody good at it. It was infuriating watching the likes of George and uh, Itoje, you know, with the big smiles and, the you know, the pats on the head. But they bloody, they deserved it. They, deserved, they were good for their win. Um, they did they did very little wrong compared to us, you know. Uh, well, we, so. we, we have a couple of comments in. One from Mick of the beautiful handwriting. I, uh, by the way, John, I apologize profusely for saying you had, you wrote like a woman last week. It's Mick who writes like a women, woman. Um, he asked, was the most, thing that most upset like Mick as well. Huh? He does, yeah. Like, a, like a, a teenage girl who's writing little notes in her diary about the late, which Backstreet Boy she fancies the most. Well, uh, maybe, maybe next week Mick, Mick can tell us which, who's his favorite member of 911. Well, while, while Mick uh, is not a very aggressive person, he's uh, about six foot four and will probably kick the shite out of you, Dave. So, you know. John, John he's a Southsider. <laughs> he's a Southsider. He'd probably, he probably, he probably catch a case of the chills if he had to cross on Hollow Bridge. Anyway, I'll read out what he says. Mick, was it, Mick asks, says, was it just a bad day at the office? Do we have changes we need to make? His thoughts are that it was a bad day at the office and we have a mental block against England and teams that play like England which I think is a fair point. He says, we are lacking a second playmaker. Too much expected of Johnny, who can step up. Would Frawley have been a better option off the bench, excepting that he doesn't cover the same position as that Roy O'Loughlin can? We forgot how to play with French refs. I think some of his decisions, not making excuses for losing, were given to the dominant team rather than refing the incident. We kind of discussed that earlier about scrums, and I, it, it's true, but it's every ref. We, we didn't seem to get in his ear just to plant a seed that might help us next time round. And then finally, our back rows didn't want to scrum. Too busy worrying about what Billy was doing, which John, in fairness, you mentioned earlier. But that's it. Is that that like Vinopola was is a huge threat as we know, mm. and we held him to I think I saw on the ESPN stats fourteen meters up, thirteen carries. Twenty three. Sorry, it was I think we were twenty three meters off thirteen carries. Yeah, which is a, a good return, like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, considering that Johnny Sexton made forty something meters. Yeah. Sex made 49 metres and James Lowe made 42 metres. And, you know, Conan made 29 metres. So Conan made more metres than Billy Vinopolo. Yeah. So. Yeah, but we had an awful lot more possession than they had. Like, we had two-thirds possession or something like that. We did, uh, yeah. I think Mick made a few good points there. Uh, re Kieran Frawley, perhaps, and your second playmaker. Um, you wouldn't think of playing Byrne and Sexton at 10 and 12, but you think of playing um, Frawley and Byrne or Frawley and Sexton at 10 and 12, for example. Um, it's all a bit, at the end of the day, because we lost the, the battle at the beginning and because we were that little bit off, having great backs wasn't going to win the day for us. You know, I, I know we did score a few tries with them and whatever, but... Uh, we needed we needed nastiness and we needed intensity and it's very hard once the whistle's gone and you haven't got it it's very hard to find it. Uh, so I think credit to the guys that they didn't go to pieces. But but the other side of that is with the player I think I was starting to say that with, with the players that we have and the players they're missing, um, we should have we should have been all over them. You know we should, again if we played it again next Saturday and the Saturday after I'd be confident we'd win three. Well, we've two. lost two out of the last three against them. 
would like people to talk, say people, that people they, had six, they had six players that played in the World Cup final less than a year ago. Well, they're a great side, and I don't think people gave no, them enough credit. Like, so it's a slight misnomer saying, oh, well, on paper we should beat them, because like they have equally as strong a side as we do. In fact, I'd say they have more world stars than we do. Like, you know, because certain players can look very good against pretty limited opposition, we suddenly build them up to be, oh my God, they must be superstars. When, like, they've really only looked good against limited sides. Whereas, you know, their front row played in the World Cup final last year. You they will get a bigger match. And like four of their front five played in the World Cup final. Their number eight played in it and their, their full back played in it. So that's like, that's, that's why know. I'm saying that's why I'm making the point about saying, oh, if we played that game five times, we win four out of five. We wouldn't. We've lost no, two we out of the last three. Mm. Um so my, no, my point is this we're, we're look, not. Look, at, look at the teams that started the, the final in Oh I know, yeah, yeah, we had them last week. And yeah. they've lost those pair of second rows, you'd think the grunt they'd be missing from that pair of second rows. Like, you know, Mauro Itoji is not a power athlete. He's a fabulous player. He's, he's, but but look at the spine of their team. Look at the spine of their team. They've got Jamie George, you've got Itojo, Billy Vinopolo, you've got Wigglesworth, you have the out half good, and your fullback is Elliot Daly. Like, that's a magnificent spine through your team. You don't need anyone else if you have a spine like that for your team. How many, how many times has, has Good played uh, out half in the last five years? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because all he did, he did the simple thing so well. He, when he got the ball, he moved it. When he got the ball, he kicked it. That's all he did. He didn't have to. Didn't, was no t- like Wigglesworth took on a lot of responsibility for kicking. He kicked all the points. He scored a fantastic try. If there wasn't uh, a finger laid on you know, Sir Leinster didn't miss any tackles, yet they didn't put a finger on him. Uh, and, I, like, he ran from over 35 metres out, and there was no one in our backfield covering the cross. Like, well, so, we, we highlighted him last week, Jason, if you remember. Um, uh, we highlighted Alex Good and, and, and his quality, and the fact he always beats the first man. We said that last he, week. Like, uh, he was super. super. Yeah, he, and, was, he was super. Um, and... There's a lot of talk about, I mean, people talk about stuff like second playmakers and, you know, the 6-2 split. To me, that's like the global hyper-colour t-shirts and boot-cut jeans of modern rugby. You know, they look good, but they look good at the time, but in retrospect, they were a terrible idea. Um, every player should be a playmaker. Every player should have the skills and the big picture and the decision-making ability to make the right choice at the right time. You don't need a, sec- a specialist second playmaker. That's, the, that's what Pat Lamb does with his teams. He doesn't have a second playmaker. Every player on the pitch is a playmaker because they all have the skills to carry and the picture in their head and the skills to, to, to carry out that picture. 6-2 um, split only works if you've got six amazing world-class forwards. And you don't get a back injury. And you don't get a back injury. If you if either of those two things aren't true, then it's a disaster. You know. So, um, but yeah, I think I. I mean, we've had a couple of comments in. Uh, uh, Gary Wynn says we were out muscled again. I don't necessarily think that was the case. I don't think muscle came into it, except in the scrums. Um, and, and and the scrums are a technical thing. Um, it did muscle doesn't muscle is only 
muscle is the cream on top of the latte. Do you put cream on lattes? I don't know. Muscle is the cream on top of the, uh, uh, the coffee and the scrum. It's the technique is the most important thing. And I think coffee technique was, was unbelievable. Um, would, would it have made any difference if Tyke Furlong was packing down? Yeah, I do. I think it would have made a difference. I think it might have. Yeah. I think mean, Porter, Porter's played Luke, sorry, tight head for three seasons. Three years. So, he's, the, he's the only player we're, that we're really missing from uh, the May 2019 final. But we all said at the time what won that final for them was their bench. They brought on the likes of Will Sk- I can't remember whether Will Sk- Skelton started or came yeah. on, but but they brought they had guys like that to bring on. They had serious heavy hitters throughout the team. They didn't, and you said it earlier, one of you said it earlier about uh, we underestimated them because we didn't know their bench. But we didn't know their bench because their bench were not picking of the calibre that their bench were in May 2019. Like, that's what I mean by we should have had enough for these guys. We, you know, yes, I take your point, Jason, that, you know, they had, uh, what was it, six World Cup finalists in the pack. That's pretty impressive. Um, five, sorry. Um, that, that's pretty impressive out of eight guys. But having said that, we should have had the match. You know, we should have had enough of them. We really should have. I, mean, I think... If you're going to talk about the power guy in the Leinster organisation, Andrew Porter is the guy you'd say is the power guy. But I still think, but I think Tyke Furlong would have would have made a bigger, bigger impact on on, on the scrummaging than Porter did because it, it it is about it's about technique and it's about experience. In the and having both of them available would have been a bigger difference as well. You know, having Porter to come off the vent, the bench when things were you know looking because t- Barrington's a good player, their loose head sub. But, you know, Mauro went on for for a guy who only just appeared back from injury. He did really well to play 73 minutes or whatever he played. Uh, and it only brought Barrington on. And, and Koch as well didn't, you know, played a very, very big stint. Jamie George... Take enough out of him. Yeah, perhaps. Jamie George is a super player. He's a bit of a T-O-S-S-E-R, but he's, he's, a, he's a super player. And he's an even better scrummager. And that, you know that the three of them together are really what what did it because Mero isn't isn't a power guy in the scrum, and your man the Scottish guy um, name really? escapes me who started uh, started in the second row oh, beside Mero Swinson yeah he like he's not a particular you know he's he's a good he's a decent lock but he's not world famous you know uh, the thing that the thing that disappointed me most nearly was that tim swinson who is a guy at the end of his career wasn't put under any real pressure by two very experienced locks in the leinster team it has to be said mm-hmm. the guys in the, the the area where leinsters ex- were lacking shouldn't have been in the second row yeah and james ryan is a power athlete like he's yeah. he's a big strong boy you know um so yeah, I don't know. And he got stuck in too. I mean, I wouldn't. He was one of our less overawed players on the day. Uh, a few of them looked like they were they were a little bit overawed, but he wasn't one of them. Uh, can, um, I, can I just go to a, a question we got in on Facebook, which kind of ties into this? Not so much a question as a as as a kind of a as a statement. It's from Declan Corcoran. 
He says, the media is predictably, predictably moved from Leinster, the greatest team ever. They beat Saracens with one hand tied behind their backs. The Pro 14 is a disaster of the competition. Disband it and give Cullen and Lancaster 50 lashes. I think we kind of yeah. discussed that. Then he goes that on to say, every, every time you win or lose, that happens pretty much. He goes on to say, the season has been good. Unbeaten run on silverware. Disappointing in the European Cup, but it's all about perspectives and how you frame it. People arrogantly act like Saracens had no right to win. They're still a very good squad who played out of their skins. I could get yep. bogged down into refereeing and a potential missed card, but I'd rather leave that up to you. We're not going near it. The past <laughs> is in the past, and I'd rather focus on next season, which I think is a very good attitude to take. Yeah. And, and like, you know, people do get to, to, like, at the end of the day, it's a game of, it's a game of sports. It's not, nobody, it's nobody kind of like, you know, uh, it, it, you get pissed off for a while after, but, you know, you got you to gotta get over it. <laughs> Um, it, it's. Uh, I couldn't. Agree, I couldn't agree more with with that comment. Like, we seem to oscillate. Whether it's supporters, the media, and the only everybody. one who seems to keep their head are, are the actual coaches and players. But we seem to oscillate from building them up to be the greatest thing since sliced bread, and they lose one match after winning twenty five. To oh my god, it's a disaster! And let's get rid of them all. Yeah, like. There well, that's has to be some form of middle ground here because we're beaten by a team that are an excellent team. And in all sports, no matter whether you're playing junior threes, Bs, or whether you're playing at this level, there has to be one winner and one loser. And we managed to get out of our pool unbeaten and we're beaten, unfortunately, by an absolutely excellent team. But we went through our entire season to this point unbeaten which is also an, an excellent achievement. Like, we've all played sports at, at various different levels. And most times, you come home on a Saturday night and you've either lost or you've won. You very rarely go through your whole season unbeaten. And to do that at that elite level is exceptional. And we should and commend them for it. Even, even and try and get back on the horse next in two weeks' time when we're, we're back at the Pro 14 again. And, and, and even in a league that may be perceived to be weak, like the Pro 14 is, we discussed that already. If you look at, say, for example, to take, take as an example the Scottish Premier League in soccer, leaving out games against one another, it's still extraordinarily unusual, indeed, near, nigh enough unheard of, for Celtic or Rangers to go through the entire season unbeaten um, or to drop points at some point, which we didn't, which shows the achievement. No matter what one thinks of the Pro 14, everybody can have a bad day. And to go through an entire season without having we, we a sufficient bad day. And we rotate our... Yeah. Sorry, we rotate our squad so much that we're not playing our first 15 every single week so we're playing we played 53 different guys or whatever 54 guys this season so we're playing very young fellas and giving we're them just trolling the welsh doing that even what's that we're just trolling the welsh doing that yeah but like even in the even in this game you know it was three kids after making their european debut in this quarter final so we've added another opportunity for them to gain experience at this level and for them to shine in blue next season and the following seasons. You know? Yeah. I, oh, I agree. Um, just one, one, one further question. But, uh, it was part of Gary Wynn's question. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was, he said, did Leinster need to buy in a player? Vardy's getting older and Gibson Park and Lowe are now Irish. Um, so should, should we go into the market? Probably not this year because I don't think there's any money. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I always think you, that there's that there's no squad that can't be improved by 
a good bit of outside culture. Very true. Very true. You know, I always think that that's you look at if you get the right foreign player in, <clears throat> like Fardy was, like Nathan Hines, like Issa, like Felipe, they leave a legacy behind them that lasts much mm. longer than their stay and pay and rewards the club more than the club pays them, kind of thing. So. There's, it's a question there, but at this period of time, with so much uncertainty around the world game, I don't really think it's an option. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I, you know, maybe we'll go in twenty one, twenty two. We might have a look at it, but uh, for this season, it ain't happening, mate. We have to see how we recover from uh, this existential threat. Threat. I don't think it's existential for humanity, but it's existential for rugby. Mm. Considering the way the game is financed in this country, what what do you think of say the proposal of playing the winners of the say the Heineken Cup every I think it's every two years or every four years playing against the winner of Super Rugby's competitions? It's you know it's what everybody wants to see. Is it a good idea? I don't know. Would it turn? Would it would it turn into that kind of? Um, what is a world club championship which mm. just seems a bit of a piss up in there's no room in, in the calendar for the yeah you're talking about the world in 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 in, in soccer yeah um yeah that, that that started off like that it's become a bit more serious in recent years because Has it? um yeah it, 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 teams are starting to take it a lot more seriously because because there's huge money involved okay um so, uh, so which at the end of the day, it's professional sport. So the big money is 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 a big thing. Um, it's hard to know. The, as John says, the it was tried once, and it was a success. It was a good game, if you remember. I think it was Toulouse against the Blues, was it? Or the Chris? Do you remember back in ninety eight or ninety nine? Do you remember that game? I remember that one? No. It was done once before. It was done once before. The game itself was successful. But finding a hole in the schedule, the only hole in club schedules is international weekends. <laughs> and there's no players available then. And the only time the players are available is during the club season. And there's no weekends available. So, yeah, it's, look, in the theory, thing it's, it's a good idea. It's, it's theory, it's a great idea, but the, the calendar's so congested yeah. that whatever about a once-off match between the winners of the Heineken Cup and the winners of the uh, Super Rugby, there's no... There's nothing, no room for anything else other than that. You know, good nice every didn't second. They, didn't they, uh, maybe, I don't know, many years ago, 15 years ago, maybe, Man United didn't play in the FA Cup. Yeah. Because they had to go and they went the off to, I don't know, Dubai or somewhere to play in the World Club Championships. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of, it, it's from, from that, you could nearly say it was at that point that the FA Cup. Its importance and relevance nearly went into terminal decline. It, its reputation certainly took a hook, took a hit. Um, the, the the big problem with the FA Cup is it doesn't carry a Champions League place. Yeah. Um, the this year, last year Liverpool were or uh, had were, were in it um, as as European champions, and the FA bent over backwards to make sure that the schedule fit, that they didn't have to miss cup games and stuff like that. Um, didn't quite work out. Liverpool had to play a match the night before they were departing, but they were only going to play the under twenty three team anyway, so it didn't really matter. Um, but the world, because it's become an important competition, um, 
a relatively important competition. Uh, the local leagues have, have, have made allowances for it, which is what would have to happen in that, world, in that rugby situation. Um, if, there's a World Club Challenge in Rugby League that's taken very seriously. Um, but that involves a lot more clubs, doesn't it? And it's part of the regular season for both hemispheres. But they kind of have to have, like, that's their only international competition yeah. from both countries, you know, from Australia. Yeah. Um, just looking back at the other, the other quarterfinals, lads, we kind of briefly touched on, on Ulster's defeat, 36-8 uh, against Toulouse. Um, once Billy Burns went off, I thought that was kind of the end of their, you know, they, I think they were, they were 8-3 with half an hour gone. They were still in it. And then the, the wheels just came off. Did we find out was Madigan dropped or injured? No idea. Actually, I, I don't know if Billy Burns going off was the end of it. Um, Lowry's a talented player. And his out half is his natural position. Although Ulster have been trying to play him almost anywhere else for some reason. Um, so in terms of, I mean, Billy Burns is, he's good, but he's still military medium. Yeah. You know, Stockdale proved you can't tackle anyway. <laughs> he's done, he's, he's damaged his reputation in that game, I thought. Well, I think, I think that, uh, Shane Daly played himself into the Irish team without taking off his slippers. <laughs> um, you know, because none of the fullbacks on display uh, this weekend, none of the Irish fullbacks on display of any stripe had particularly good games. I thought uh, Hugo Keenan had a bit of Gervin Dempsey about him. Uh, Hugo, Hugo's a good. I don't know why they just don't switch their positions. It seems much more natural fit to me. Hmm. Took one. I think they actually brought it back for a penalty against us, but there was a, a Gary Owen put up and he caught it above his head, very um, kind of Gaelic football. He seems like much a much more natural fullback. He seems to have more feeling for the position. He reads the game better. He reads the backfield better. Larmer, as a winger, is 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 much more effective because he has that kind of Cheslin Colby X factor kind of thing. I don't know, but then I don't see the training week in week out. I'm sure the coaches know what they're doing. I mean, what do I know? Some fat lad. Okay, just, like. <laughs> uh, looking at Exeter against Saints, I, I that's one team that I just. I've only been down to Sandy Park once, but it's such a great experience down there seven or eight years ago. I'm, I, I hope they go on and win the tournament. Uh, they beat Saints 38-15. Like, it would have been a travesty. But we put 90 points on Saints if they'd have got into that, into that <laughs> semi-final. Like, um, but I, you know, Exeter just look very strong. And uh, I hope they take on Toulouse. They're at, they are at home. So I really hope they get into that final. Well, I, I, I don't mind. I don't mind which side of that semi-final wins, because I'd be quite happy with either team from that semi-final winning it. Well, no, I wouldn't. Uh, I have to say that. Oh, you don't want to lose to get the fifth star. I don't want to lose getting the fifth star before we do. Uh, I don't want Saracens winning a fourth star and then going off for two years and not defending it. Um, so Racing. I don't love or hate, but Exeter are, are a great club. So, you know, I would love to see Exeter and Rob Baxter and all of that stuff down in Devon. Down in Devon. I like oh, to, I want to be Exeter. Exeter's, I mean, I'd have no problems with Exeter winning either the match or the, the tournament. Um, 
I've always had a great time in Toulouse and they've always treated us very well when we've been there. Oh, absolutely. I'm nothing against Toulouse as a club. It's purely I don't want them getting a fifth star. <laughs> that's, that's all. No other reason. Uh, Racing, you know, they, they, they didn't get it uh, against us in... Uh, so basically, I, can't, I can see Saracens beating Racing now. I really can't. We're like the most modern way of stopping a car. <laughs> ABS. Fair enough. Anyone but Saracens. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Well, like at least two Irish guys potentially could get a medal if Racing uh, do beat them and get to the final. Yeah. All suddenly cheese. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we go, lads, I just wanted to draw notice to um, two. And I mean, this word is often bandied about, but in this particular case, I think it is fair to say it's Cole McFadden and uh, Rob Carney, legends of Leinster rugby. I wouldn't be exaggerating. Both, um, both gave a, long, a lot of long service um, in both blue and green. And um, I mean, Rob Carney's record is just ridiculous. The Most decorated man in Irish rugby ever. And they always leave out his key achievement. I mean, they talk about his multiple Grand Slams, his multiple Heineken Cups, uh, his Pro 12s. All that. They forget his real achievement. He is the only player to be the recipient of two Leinster Legends t-shirts. Really? Yeah. He, his first t-shirt was, for, was, was a special edition done for Ladies Night. Remember he used to do those? The OLSC used to do those pink t-shirts for Ladies Night. And Rob was on the first one of those. And then he got his own... Blue Leinster legend. So he's the only player to win two, to have two OLSC Leinster legend t-shirts. It's me, the guy from the bar. <laughs> well, but he's. I mean, I mean of course, we we don't know. We know that McFadden has said he's he's going to hang up his boots. Yeah. I keep Rob on has a year to be honest with you. Hasn't made. What's that? I keep him on for another year. Yeah. I think he wants. I think McFadden definitely wants to go. Yeah. McFadden's had, an, had enough now he wants <laughs> to go but I, I don't know about Rob Carney Rob Carney has said or hasn't made any statement on what he's mm. going to do if he's if he's going to go off into the into the sunset or or if he's going to you know play abroad in France or in um, Japan there's, be, there's a lot talk about I mean we were, we were talking about Rob and his achievements and he has many many achievements and they're all he's unmatched in terms of achievement but I mean um, Fergus McFadden has been for the last 10 years, maybe slightly more, the absolute heart of that Leinster team. Um, you know, leaving aside his excellence as a rugby player, as a wing and as a centre and as a goal kicker, which is sometimes forgotten. I mean, he's, he's a world-class goal kicker. If there was somebody heading for the Leinster line and the only way to stop him was to cut off his own head and throw it at him, Fergus McFadden would do that. He would do anything. I remember once he took he took a red card. He took a five week suspension to save Leinster a try bonus point. Remember that against Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. he the things he'd do for that team that were you know maybe not uh, all that widely seen or all that widely proclaimed. It's guys like that that win your titles. So it is. It's guys like that that win your titles. Um, we we touched on it earlier. He, he scored the bonus point. In Claremont, yeah. I think it got us out of the group, you know, subsequently. Um, it got us into the Challenge Cup. The Challenge no, that, was, that was, wasn't that two years later? The one, 
the one in uh, or three years later, the one in two thousand and ten, uh, he scored. Or hold on, am I mixing them up myself? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it was the one in two thousand and ten was down in Claremont where yeah. we got a losing bonus point. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, no, you're right. It did get us into the challenge cup. That was in two thousand and thirteen. Yeah. 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 Well, we we'll all we'll all miss them, and obviously, as I'd saying, we all wish them the very Best luck. Oh, yeah. Two, two guys who really, I mean, you remember, Jason, when, when, back in, we'd say 2006, when this whole kind of journey, 2005, 2006, when the whole journey towards success started. That season started with Cheka bringing Rob Carney and Jamie Heaslip out, into the senior team for a game down in Nace. It wasn't Nace against an Italian yeah. team for a preseason yeah. friendly, and they stayed in the team all the way. You know, right. ever since they were they they were undroppable for the rest of their careers. So the fact that Rob is stepping aside now is the end. Mm. That's literally the end of that era. Era defining. Mm. Yeah. Well, and just one other point before we go, I was uh, pleased to read uh, Leinster A are playing against Ulster A at the RDS on Friday, and I know you see that game in Aviva two weeks ago, three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, there was one 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 noticeable addition to the team sheet was Mr. Daniel Levy. Yes. Uh, yes. Who, after I don't know many months, eighteen months maybe, mm. he's finally getting to lace up his boots in in anger, which is great to see him back on a pitch and uh, hopefully he can um, star for us next season in the in the Pro 14 and European Cup. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's it's it, it's it's great to see him back. I mean. God only knows. I mean, the Pro 14 is not that far away. We're supposed to be playing the Dragons, I think, on the 3rd. That's what I've heard, anyway. But the weekend ending yeah. the 3rd of October, which is, what, two weeks away? So there isn't that much time to get yeah. warmed up. That's it. Exactly. Okay, boys, as ever, thanks a million. Thanks very much for watching. If you are following us on Facebook or Twitter, please give us a, a thumbs up, a like, and a subscription. Thanks a million. Cheers. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.